Okay, so you heard the connection between Jesus and golf. I hope you saw the link there. And let me assure you, uh, the staff has called me all kinds of names over the years. Mr. Chapman would not be one of them. <laughs> too good, too good, too good. Just uh, three snapshots. Uh, thank you, Caitlin and, uh, and, and Jacob and uh, big guy uh, for sharing uh, a little bit about what Jesus is doing. Doing stuff in uh, all of our lives and fun just to get some of those, some of those snapshots. We're going to have a summer kickoff. So this is that first uh, Sunday, June 4th. So we'll have worship services, and then we're going to meet out on the field. There'll be music. There will be food. There'll be games for the young kids, for uh, our students, and lots of life going on. Great opportunity for us to come and mix with the entire church family, but also an opportunity for us to invite our friends and neighbors to come hang out. Those who uh, might be less comfortable coming to a church service, come hang with us out there and have a picnic and uh, get to know some of us. We're, we're, we're pretty, fun, uh, pretty fun folks. Next week, again, jumping into Acts, a thematic approach. Not our usual way of going through this, but we're going to pick, I think, 16 themes and acts, things that we're making this church go out into the world and bring the gospel uh, 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 to the whole world. And, and what was it that was going on? What were they doing? How was God uh, working? And hopefully uh, uh, learn some things that encourage us to be even more influential, more effective in, in bringing uh, the gospel around the world. But today, again, we're, we're finishing up with uh, 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 John. He lived here 33 years, Jesus did. John records this in 21 chapters. But there are three days that are at the core of this. 33 years, 21 chapters, but three days that changed the whole perspective of life most significant event in the history of the world, Jesus' death and his resurrection. And you've probably been paying attention, but man, the world is a mess. I don't know if it's getting messier than it was, but it feels like some of the technology advancements and what we can do, the impact of the bad things is increasing. Russia and Ukraine... What a stinking mess with global implications. What's going on in China? Their building up of resources where they've gone as a country. Potential global implications. Look at our country. I think it was the 192nd mass shooting yesterday in our country since the beginning of the year. 192. It's changed the way we prepare for Sunday morning worship services. Something 25 years ago we weren't even thinking about. Oh, the pain, 
kids being abused. Folks in our country, much less around the world, that go to bed hungry. Not to mention just the challenges and getting along with family, relational issues, at work, disease. The world is messed up. I'm old. I'm not sure if it's getting worse. We look at the social, ethical trends that are happening in our country. It's a mess. But there's an answer. There's an answer. And his name is Jesus. He lived for 33 years in this world. John spends 21 chapters writing about him. And then in three days, he does that which can change everything for everyone who knows him. I love working through these books. I love getting new starts. But for me, there's just a bit of sadness every time. You guys know you pay me, right? I got 15, 20 hours in those little chunks I preach on. And yes, Keith, you can keep trying to make them shorter. Ken would maybe applaud that. But listening to the voice of Jesus. There's nothing like it. So thank you again for the privilege of allowing me to do that and then just share a bit with you. Love all the scripture. Love all the gospels. But there's a depth to John's gospel a profundity that actually, I think, sets it apart from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're beautiful. They're glorious. Don't hear me diminishing the eternal impact that can come with those other Gospels. But there's a depth to John. This guy is a smart dude, inspired by God. And we saw it at the very beginning. In the beginning was the Word, unmistakably a connection to Genesis 1-1. Anybody know that book? Remember how that started? What were the first words? In the beginning. Don't miss it. John is connecting this gospel to this God, directly linking this Jesus to this God of whom Moses wrote, in the beginning, God. 
We usually jump from in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then we want to fight about exactly how that started. That's what we like to sometimes do. What was it? Seven days, blah, 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 blah. In the beginning, God. Before there was a beginning, God. I was talking with a guy just this last week. We got connected. We were having breakfast and uh, does not love Christ. We got framing this, and he was equating Christianity with living well and loving others and being nice to other people and all these behaviors. And I'm like, absolutely. But the bigger question is, is there a God? This isn't primarily about how people behave. The question is, is there a God? Because if there is, my head tells me I would want to understand who he is. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word, Jesus was with God, and the Word was God. Right at the beginning, John has been laying out this whole thing about who he's talking about. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. A restatement of Genesis 1.1. And in him was life, physical life, spiritual life, and the life was the light of men. He goes on as he's starting this book to give us an introduction and a profound description of where he's headed. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world, though it was made through him, did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. And those who were in charge of interpreting the Old Testament are the ones that led the rejection of him. But... Lots of big butts in the Bible. Lots of big butts. Here's a big butt. He's telling us what he's going to tell us through this whole book. But to all who did receive him, who trusted in him, who treasured him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, though they should have been damned, who were born not of blood, This is an ethnic issue, nor of the will of flesh, not ultimately up to us, nor the will of the man, but of God. Those who receive, those who choose to follow, ultimately who's at work? God, right at the beginning. This thing, we could have um, three years worth of sermons in these first 
few paragraphs. Now, he goes on and he tells a lot of the stories. He does all these miracles. He, he, he raises Lazarus from the dead. He sits down and has dinner with these guys. He washes the disciples' feet. Who's washing the disciples' feet? God. How do we have the power to humbly serve others? We love Jesus. We get who he is, and he empowers us to humbly and graciously and lovingly serve others. Lots of things he said in that last dinner. You've heard me say, if we just got one a little more seriously, the impact in this broken world and our broken country and our broken uh, uh, neighborhoods and our broken cities, we'd have a much greater impact. By this, all men are going to know you're my disciples if you love one another. Have you found how easy it is to love people that have first loved you? Have you noticed how simple that is? I'm going to tell you, the people that love me, it takes absolutely no effort whatsoever to love them back. Jesus essentially says, and I'm going to paraphrase, I don't care about that. You're going to get so filled with my love, I'm going to empower you to even go love those who desire your demise. Now that's power. To love those people who would wish to hurt us. Sometimes we churchgoers end up fighting with one another. New command I give you, that you love one another. And you remember how much we're supposed to love one another? Jesus said, as I have loved you. <laughs> There's the standard. How do we do it? We can only do it empowered by him, abiding in him, hanging with him. Because I don't know about you, but I've encountered people, of course, none of them go to RCC, that are a little harder to love. And Jesus, of course, went to the cross. Those who put him there were the religious leaders, the guys in charge of interpreting the Old Testament who completely missed the big idea. And he went willingly, and he went graciously, and on that cross, he bore the weight of every one of ours sin. 
Can't imagine how heavy. Just carrying the weight is heavy. You remember the guilt before you came to faith in Christ? You remember the weight of sin? The shame, the ugliness, the hurt that came with that? He carried that for all of us. And then on top of it, on top of just carrying the weight, the Father poured out on his Son the wrath that we all deserved. Life is hard, guys. Life stinks. And the only way to find true joy, meaning, and life is to understand who Jesus is and what he accomplished. It's the only way. But Jacob, oh, I'm so glad that story was renewed. Thank you, brother. And if you're sitting there having grown up in the church and we just went through the crucifixion and Easter and your heart wasn't touched, come talk to me. Satan is good. As we grow in our relationship with him, that story ought to have more meaning as we continue on. We get the truth of it, but if the truth doesn't penetrate our heart and engage us, it's not faith. Jesus said, true worship are those who worship me in spirit and truth, with heart and with head. It has to be both. And if it's only one, it is not belief. But he took that weight on himself. He took our eternal punishment on himself. And he said, it is finished, it is done, it is paid for. And then three days later, he rose from the dead. That truth is the truth that allows us to live in this broken world, grieving its brokenness, its hurt in our lives, in our families' lives, in our friends' lives, all around the world, and yet have Hope. Sixty-seven years old and his life was transformed. Praise God. I hope he gets another 50 years in this world. But if he doesn't, he's going to be with Jesus. That's the hope we live for. Hope we all have jobs so we can pay the bills. Hope we don't get that too sick. But let me tell you, we're in a broken world. That stuff happens. Yet there's a source of power that sustains us and fills us 
with hope and joy and peace and meaning no matter what hits us. Jesus died and rose from the dead. And John writes this whole blasted book so we could all experience what Jacob, Caitlin, and Ken are experiencing. Appears to Mary Magdalene first. I love that. Go tell the disciples. They're not so quick to get it, particularly Thomas. But as we end that 20th chapter, Jesus said to Thomas, put your finger here, you doubter. And see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Here's the big idea of the book. Do not disbelieve, but believe. That's why John writes this book. And he gives us these narratives of the encounter Jesus had with the disciples after the resurrection to help make clear what he wants to have happen as he writes this book. You guys online, wherever you're here, if you're still not believing... I'm not asking just to make a, a, a quick response. Keep thinking through it. Keep working through it. Keep doing what Ken was doing. Asking the questions. Because that belief changes everything. And again, remember, he goes to chapter 21, the last chapter. I told you we could end at the end of, of chapter 20, and I think it would be a great ending to the book. John summarizes his purpose. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written. Here's why I wrote the stinking book. So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. I think would be a great way to end the book. I told you when I preached that. Then we go to chapter 21, because John wants us to understand, as the beloved disciple, if we believe what that looks like. How do we live? Remember, they're out there fishing. Did they catch any fish before Jesus said to throw the net on the other side? No. You guys that believe, you're going to go fish for people now. I'll be the one working in their hearts. Love your shout-outs to Ken and to Dan. Did Ken and Dan, excuse me, Bud and Dan, did they leave, did they come to faith? Were they the primary instruments that brought Ken to faith? No. Who was? He told us in the first chapter. God. Was it any fun connecting with Ken and helping him get connected with Jesus, Bud? Did you have any fun? Yep. That was a quiet yep. He meant to go, yes, that's what he meant to say. But he's a quiet, constrained guy. That's how God chooses to make this thing work. He uses people. Ken came to faith because God worked in his heart. A supernatural, divine miracle. But he uses us. Ha! What a crazy plan. John writes chapter 21 to make sure we get that. Put your nets on the other side of the boat. 
In that last narrative, he's talking with Peter. Big idea is this. God uses broken, hurting, often mistaken people to display his glory. There's the big idea. Peter, you denied me three times. Now you've just said you love me three times. We're good. Now I want you to go feed my sheep and give my joy away. God washing the disciples' feet and he uses us. Broken, hurting, often mistaken people to promote his glory and love. It's a beautiful thing. He finishes with these two verses. This is the disciple now referencing himself, the one who had had, had been sitting next to Jesus at the Last Supper, if you go back to the last text, who's bearing witness about these things and who has written these things that we know that his testimony is true. And if you remember last week's text, he's, he's referencing Peter, Peter, you're going to have an ugly death. And you remember what Peter says? I love this. The last thing recorded. What is that to you, Peter? Those are the last words of Jesus recorded in in, in the book of John. Peter, mind your own business. I'm ending this book. I have Jesus saying something much more profound. Not John. Peter, even though I've reinstated you and reinstored you, you're still asking questions that don't convey you trust me as fully as I would like you to. I'm still going to use you even though you're still growing and you got lots of growth. John is making clear here. Peter had already been killed as John writes this. God did what he was going to do. And then God had a different plan for John. was to write this gospel the three epistles, and the book of Revelation. And here God did through Peter what he intended, and he's doing through John. Verse 25. Now there are many, also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written. And I wrestle with whether this is hyperbole or not. I'm not sure. I tend to think almost not. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. This is John's way of saying this. There's nobody like this, Jesus. Nobody. You're going to have a lot of things in life that feel like they demand your attention. You're going to have a lot of issues that are going to overwhelm you, cause you grief, cause you sorrow, that are going to take your attention and, and, and want to divert it, divert it if not distract it. For those of you who come to faith and get this, don't ever miss this. There is absolutely no one like Jesus. No one. And when you see the truth of who he is and it touches your head, it touches your heart, And you can't help. You cannot prevent yourself from treasuring him above all else. In this world, your attention is going to be distracted and diverted. He still loves you. He's still using you. 
just look at this Jesus. Keep your eyes focused on him. Keep your heart engaged. I don't know where the world's going, guys. We're facing some things. I don't know about you that I didn't see coming. I didn't even mention artificial intelligence. Listen to some of those in the know. Some great tools, great benefit, and stinking scary. Where's this thing going to go? I have no idea. But God does. And for those of us that love Christ, this is it. There's our source of strength and our source of hope. No matter what this world brings. Because we have Jesus. And I hope we can all say what Ken said. This joy is going with me. Did you guys hear it? For the rest of my life. Now, my prayer for Ken's life and for all your lives is that as much joy as you have, Ken, I believe it's just going to increase as you keep growing in your relationship with Christ. And that we encourage those around us that love him a little bit, and particularly those that don't know him. We encourage them. We're going to celebrate communion this morning. If you're here today, you don't have to be perfect to participate this in this. Because if you did, let me suggest every one of us would be disqualified. You just have to be like Peter on the road. Treasuring Jesus. May I see the hands of those who still from time to time don't express their faith in their thinking, in their feelings, and in their actions as well as they would like. May I see your hands? Oh, good. Welcome to the Christian family. It's who we are. It's Jesus that unites us. Just one requirement for your participating in this meal. You've said, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I treasure you. Jesus, I believe in you. Thanks for loving me and being as patient with me as you were with Peter. God bless Peter. I would tell you, I would be tempted to beat myself up if it weren't for Peter. And how God loves him. We got that hope. So we're going to conclude John. You love Christ. If you don't love Christ, you're thinking about it. We're thrilled you're here, but I'm going to ask you to pass on this meal. This is for those who trust him. But if you're not there yet, come talk to me, and we are ecstatic that you're with us. So come grab these elements. I'm going to ask you to hold on the elements and then we'll celebrate together. Come on forward. I'm forgiven because you are forsaken and I'm accepted.
I never get tired of saying it. I hope you never get tired of hearing it. God loves us. He loves us. He loves us. Having breakfast with this young man. Talked a little bit about it as far as it felt like he was interested. Here's what he doesn't get. Pretty confident. God loves him. think he's where a lot of my friends who haven't chosen to love Christ yet still are. If you become a Christian, you got to give up your joy. May none of us ever be those who convey that. Our hope, our joy, our eternal life, no matter what happens, is rooted in Jesus. Because here's the reality. For those that love Christ, I don't care what happens. That's a generalization. You understand what I'm saying there? You're interpreting me accurately? We're going to live with Jesus forever for pity's sakes. That's the foundation of our hope. That's what empowers us to love people who hate us. That's what empowers us to live for grace and stand for Christ gently and kindly. Standing unmistakably firm upon Jesus. Why? Because he's God. He left the glory of heaven, came down to here to earth, because he loves us, he loves us, he loves us. This is a reminder of his body that was broken because he loves us so that we might live. This is a reminder of his blood that was shed to give us hope, to make us happy to empower us to live through the worst of circumstances with hope and joy and love. We drink this in remembrance of Jesus. Oh, thanks for loving us, Jesus. You are too good.